Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching, listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. When the new year started, we embarked on a journey to look at some of the highlights from Jesus' ministry. Now, we can't cover everything in a span of a few months, so we broke these highlights down into segments. And the first was called, you know, When Pigs Fly, and here we examine some of Jesus' miracles that He performed. And then we took a look at some of the parables that He taught. But today, we move into the final segment of His life and ministry in a teaching series that we're calling Seven Days. Now, why are we spending time on the final week of the life and ministry of Jesus? Well, let me kind of put it to you like this. The Gospels themselves, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they total 89 chapters. Now, only four chapters are based on the, you know, the first 30 years of His life. But 29 chapters are spent on the last week alone, and John spends about half or slightly more than half of his gospel just on this final week. Ancient biographers didn't write a full-fledged biography detailing every aspect of a person's life. I know we're used to that nowadays, but that's not how it worked in the first century. Instead, you focused almost exclusively on periods which define the individual. So when you think about Jesus, what do you think about? You think about the crucifixion, the resurrection, the trials, the trials triumphal entry, maybe even Lazarus coming back to life. And these are all things which take place during or just prior to the final week of his life. And I think some of his best teachings took place too during this final week as well. So, so if it carries such a weight of importance to the ancient writers, if so much of what we think in terms of Jesus takes place during this week, then I think we should take a closer look at it too, right? So these final seven days are even given a couple of names you might be familiar with, you know, like the Passion Week or the Passion of the Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is going to be sort of a theme verse for this segment. And uh, Paul says this, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, look at this, while we were still sinners. It's the Passion Week, or the Passion of the Christ, because you are His passion. You were the reason He went through hell and back. And can I tell you, you know, I would do a lot for you. Like, I care about you. I love you. But I'm not sending one of my kids to die for you. Like, I'm going to draw a line right there, okay? But God sent His Son, His only Son, to die for us. And that kind of passion, man, it demands a passionate response on our part. Isaac Watts, he penned an old hymn which contained these words, When I survey the wondrous cross. What does it mean to survey something? Does it mean just to take a, a passing glance, to take a look maybe, and then say a few things and kind of move on? No. Survey means to take a, a deep dive, to soak it in, to deeply take in, reflect on something. And so over the next few weeks, in this final segment of this teaching series, we're going to do just that. We're going to take in some of the passionate responses that Jesus gave during these final seven days. And it all starts with an event which happens on Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19 verse 29 as he came
came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, these are villages outside Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives, he, being Jesus, sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, oh, the Lord needs it. Verse 32, so they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying this colt? And the disciples simply replied, well, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. You know, Jesus hadn't seen the colt. I don't know if you thought about that. <laughs> he hadn't seen it. But he knew it was there. He even knew no one had ridden it. Now, I don't really know about you, but that's really encouraging to me, and here's why. It's another reminder that God knows every single detail about you. He knows what's happening in your life, in my life, around this world. Nothing takes God by surprise. Now, Matthew and John include a detail that Luke doesn't about this event. They include an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah about this very thing happening. I want to take you there real quick. Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, he says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, and he's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. There are about 300 prophecies, all concerning Jesus, which were more than 400 years old by the time that he set foot in the first century of Israel. And every single one of them came true. I mean, it took only one of them turning out false to throw everything off, but they were all fulfilled. And if they were all fulfilled about his first coming, don't you think that we can trust every single one of the prophecies that point to his second coming? Let's keep going. Verse 36. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where he was going, uh, Mount of, the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they were walking along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings in the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Some translations will say Hosanna, okay? So scholars estimate uh, that you had anywhere from you know three quarters to a million people traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Uh, it's a big, big deal. In this crowd welcoming Jesus are people who are from Galilee, where most of his ministry had taken place, hence the, the reference to miracles. Uh, they've seen him do all kinds of his miracles as well, uh, multiplying bread and fish, not once but twice, feeding the 5,000 and 4,000. They've seen him raise the dead, all kinds of things. They think he's the real deal, and they're going to celebrate. Then you have folks from Bethpage and Bethany coming to celebrate because they actually just witnessed a resurrection. Uh, just prior to this, Lazarus was raised up in John chapter 11 to get that story. And then finally, you have folks in the city of Jerusalem who are coming out. They see the commotion, and you have to believe they're learning it's Jesus, and so they're joining in the celebration. This is in this great. Now I say all of that uh, because this isn't the same crowd on Friday who shall crucify him. Now I know it makes for a great preaching point and all that kind of great stuff uh, to say it's the same folks who praised him on Sunday, cursed him on Friday, but that's actually not true. Uh, there were two different crowds of people. Nevertheless, the folks are praising God. And I'm going to get into a difference between praise and worship here in, in, ju in just a moment. Verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd, they said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And so he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road burst 
into tears. Not cheers. <laughs> so everyone's praising Jesus. They're all fired up. But the Pharisees are witnessing this whole event, and they harshly condemn it. And they want Jesus to put an end to the praise, to the titles being thrown his way. Almost as if they're saying, hey, like, get your guys under control. We don't do this. And Jesus tells them, hey, look, if they don't shout praises, the rocks are going to cry out. You know, creation, even, <laughs> even the rock knows its creator, doesn't it? Now, this is a little more just the cute episode of rocks getting called up for choir duty. This is actual spiritual conflict taking place. There are so many spiritual battles being waged, but worship is one of the most fierce. Why? Because we all worship something. Your passion is going to go somewhere, right? Uh, something is getting all of that passion, whether it's food or sports or education, relationships. Something's getting all of that passion that you have. God doesn't mind you having passions, by the way. But where he gets amped up is when those passions come before him. Why? Because God wants all of you. He wants, you to, uh, he wants to be the focal point of your life. And, and given that he's God, I, why not? You know, worship is our response to, to what we value most as well. I, I want you to listen to this carefully, okay? Whatever you worship becomes an obsession. And whatever you become obsessed with, you, you tend to imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. And so the truth is, is, what you choose to give your passions to becomes your life. Pastor Jack Hayford said it like this, Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. If we're to reflect Christ and be an image of Him, our worship has to be devoted to Him. Now, many of us engage in, in situational worship. We, we'll, we'll worship God one day when things are going well, and maybe on Sunday, because it's kind of expected if you're a Christian going to church. But then when life gets hard and troubles come, man, we don't really feel like worshiping, right? Like worship's the last thing on our minds, but worship isn't based on circumstances. Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked a question about which command is the most important to follow God, and he gives this response in verse number 29. He says this, uh, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and is the only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all of your strength. What Jesus gives is something called the Shema. It was, the, it was first given in Deuteronomy, and it was the most important unifying truth that Israel would rally behind, that God is one. And it set them apart from the nations. But it's not enough to believe that God is one. You need to worship with everything you have. That was the point, right? In fact, God is actively looking for people who worship this way. Jesus makes that statement in John chapter 4, verse 23. And the word for worship he uses is a Greek word called proskuneo. It literally means to kiss the hand, but not in an authoritative sense as of someone kissing the king's hand, right? It actually means to kiss the hand as in a dog licking its owner's hand. So you know, when I come home, my golden retriever is anxiously waiting. He can hear me before I step foot to the, to the house, and he's wagging his tail. He gets excited. He brings me a toy, almost like it's a gift, every time I come home. And he just follows me everywhere, and he licks me, and he's, it's like rubber on glue. And that is the picture of a worshiper that God is seeking after. And I know that kind of sounds crazy, right? But, but God wants all of you. He wants you to worship Him with emotion. I know for some of you, you're like, wow, emotion. Yes, emotion. You say, wait a minute, that's just not me. 
Like, I've got God in my heart. I follow the Lord. Emotions betray you, pastor. Emotional worship, that's not real worship. It's just kind of for the moment or what. Okay, apply that logic to your marriage. See how long it lasts, okay? Hey, babe, I love you. You know that I love you. I don't have to show it. I listen to you. I talk with you. I'm here for you. Isn't that good enough? I'm going to tell you right now, if that's your marriage, <laughs> we're going to set you up for counseling, okay? Because there should be some passion there. There should be devotion. There should be emotion. When God sent his son, as Romans 5 tells us, it was an emotional act. He gave his only son. That's not easy to do. That requires emotion. The Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, it's filled with countless expressions of emotional love for God. It's not stoical. There's dancing and singing and shouting and clapping and crying and laughing and lamenting. There are emotions dripping on every page. When I get home, my kids are not just like, oh, hey, Dad. Like, they're full of emotion. They come running. They get excited. The littlest one who can't even walk yet, she comes squealing on her knees, man. Like, what are they doing? They're loving me with their emotions. That's what the uh, picture of a, of a worshiper that God is pursuing looks like. Psalm 150 tells us to, to praise the Lord, verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise Him for His unequal greatness. Praise Him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise Him with the lyre and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with strings and flutes. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Look at this. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. We, we get our word hallelujah from the Hebrew word halal. What does halal mean? It, it means to celebrate to boast, to rave, to be clamorously foolish. If we do that on Saturday, we call you a fanatic, right? But if we do it on Sunday, we say you're a little weird. <laughs> on the night before Jesus' triumphal entry, which we read about today, he's in the home of, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this little town of Bethany. And John 12 gives us the picture of Mary coming in and she pours out an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' feet. It would have taken a year to sieve up to buy the kind of perfume that she pours out. And she wipes his feet with her hair and her tears. And Judas kind of stiffens up and he's like, well, that money's being wasted and it could have been used to help the poor. That's not right. And so Jesus says, no, she's preparing me for my burial. She's pouring her love out for me. In another account of this event, he says she's loving this much because she's been forgiven this much. Have you forgotten what Christ has done for you? Do you understand the depth of God's love and how He saved you, how He delivered you, how He broke the addictions in your life, how He gave you a place in His kingdom? When you've been forgiven much, the tendency is to love much more in return. Camp Lejeune in North Carolina is, is placed near the interstate, and, and, and when you have jets flying overhead, it can, it can shake everything. You can kind of feel those sonic booms, right? Uh, and so over the years, they got so many complaints, they, they decided to embrace it, and they put up this billboard which reads, Pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom. Now listen to me today. I love worship. Worship is reflective. It is deep. It tends to be somber. It's quiet and holy, and we need worship. 
but we also need praise. Praise is completely different. Praise is joyful. It is energetic. It is emotional. It is the sound of our freedom. We need to praise every time we're together at a Radiant Church. We're not going to be a church that is somber and quiet and a slow. Like, no, we're, we're not dead, guys. We're alive. We need to be alive in our praise and our emotion, our heartfelt worship to God. Express your gratitude. Express your love. It's the sound of people who are free today. Now, don't do things that are weird to draw attention to yourself. Don't run laps around the room, but clap your hands. Lift up your voice. Dance a little bit if you want to. Raise your hands. Let the tears flow. Open your heart. Use the emotion in your praise and worship to the Lord. God wants us to worship with emotion, but He also wants us to worship Him with our attention. And I've learned a lot of things about being a parent over the years. And one of the key truths I've learned is that my family cares only about my attention. My kids want to play with me. They want to sit and watch something or read a book together. They, they want me to hold them and hang with them and go to the ball, you know, ball field with them. Why? Because they don't care about anything else. They just want to hang out with them. God wants you to want them. He wants you to be in your, you know, He wants to be in your schedule. He wants to have that time with you. I like how the message describes Romans 12 too. It says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. If you want a quick, easy way to start giving God your attention, make room for 15 minutes a day. Spend five minutes in worship, five minutes reading the word, and five minutes in prayer. It's a start. It's a start. It can get you rolling in the right direction. And finally, God wants you to worship Him with our abilities. God has given you abilities and talents and gifts for you to use for His glory. But it doesn't mean much if you're doing it out of obligation. My oldest son is seven, and sometimes he'll make breakfast for his brother and myself. <laughs> I'll come out in the morning, my milk is poured, and something's on the counter. And you're like, why? Because, not because he wants something from me, but because he simply loves me, he loves his brother. He does it as an expression of his love. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus the continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. Don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. There are, these are the sacrifices that please God. How do you continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God? You, you do good and you share with those in need. When you serve God, when you do things He asks of you, when you use the abilities He's given you in a selfless manner, that is worship also. Your act of obedience is worship just as much as singing and playing and clapping. God wants our worship. What are you passionate for? Uh, what are you imitating in your life? Like right now, you know, as of this recording, the Asbury Revival is in full swing. It's a different kind of move of God than what many of us have seen. It started at a university at the end of the chapel service. There were no lights, no pro presenter media settings, no special preaching from well-known communicators. The facility is not new. It's an old church building with pews, an old school gallery style balcony area that surrounds uh, the, the sanctuary. And yet God is moving in a powerful way because the students and others present is sold out to him. They're worshiping with their emotions, their attention, their abilities. They're passionately pursuing Jesus. 
And what God is giving them in return is an experience in his presence that is so powerful. People are struggling to describe what it's like. They actually cannot really put it tangibly into words. That kind of experience cannot be manufactured. We can't create that here at Radiant Church or any church. It's not something you experience overnight either. It comes from lengthy times of pursuing God, loving Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't let the same, you know, don't let some rock take your place. Give God all of your praise and all of your worship today. God, I pray for you. God, I love you. And I thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. And Father, I pray that, that we would be reminded of how important our worship and our praise is to you. God, may our passions be in the right place. May we have a passionate response to the passion you had for us, pursuing you, loving you, God, uh, worshiping you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Father, as we worship, as we praise, as joy and energy fills the air, God, lift our spirits. God, draw us close to you. Help us to worship with our emotion. You gave us emotion. It's not something we should look down on. Help us to worship with everything we got. Lord, help us to worship with our full attention. Not on anything else happening in our world, but when we worship, man, we are zeroing in on you. And Lord, may we worship you with the abilities you've blessed us with, serving you, doing good, doing kingdom work, obeying you, God, I pray. Thank you for all that you're going to do in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for worship, for praise, for showing us an example of what that looks like in Scripture. And Father, I pray that uh, you continue to help us to be light in a world that is desperately seeking answers. They can find that answer in you. May our praise and worship help point people, God, to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.